Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Everybody loves Altoids, the little mints that come in tins. Well, once the mints are gone, you can do some really neat things with the leftover tins. People have made MP3 players, cameras, even stoves. Check out HowStuffWorks.com slash Tinnovators to find out more. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me, as always, is Charles W. Chuck Bryant. You sound like you're smiling big, and you are. This is stuff you should know. Of course I'm smiling. Yeah, why not? We're in the, our happy chairs. Chuck, what is it? Like August, mid, late August? August, right? Yeah, mid-August. So you know what that means, don't you? It means as hot as Hades in Atlanta. It is. It's gross, man. It keeps Awful. It keeps raining just long enough to soak the ground, and then... Boom, the sun comes out and it's muggy. Yeah, awful. Yeah, it's. It, I actually have spoken to people who have lived in New Orleans, and they say that it is as bad as New Orleans these days. Really? Yeah. I believe it. Thank you, Al Gore. Yeah. Stupid global warming. But that's not what you were going to talk about anyway. I just totally sidetracked you, didn't I? Yeah, but I went with it. Okay. As is my way. So uh, what does August mean? August means that we are two, no, one month and change away from the Ig Nobel Awards. Right. Mm-hmm. Not to be confused with the Darwin Awards. No, which, Chuck, how many people sent us when we did that spontaneous human combustion? Yeah. Sent us that Darwin Award clip of yeah. that, that Indian man on top of the train. Yeah, getting electrocuted. Yeah. It was very distressing. It is. And only about half of those said, uh, be warned what you're about to watch. The others were like, check this out. <laughs> yeah. Kentucky Fried Dude. <laughs> yeah, normally like I don't like watching people die, uh, yeah. but that one, I don't know. I thought it was kind of... Interesting. Yeah, distressing. Sure. So was he a Darwin Award winner? Yeah, I can't remember what for, but he was definitely an award winner. Yeah, the Darwin Awards are a different deal. Those those people are generally chided for stupidity, and the Ig Nobel Prize uh, winners are not uh, made fun of. Plus, the Ig Nobel Awards actually recognize honest-to-goodness, genuine scientific research. Yep, left-of-center scientific research. A little bit. But scientific research nonetheless. So the uh, Ig Nobel Awards are coming up, as I said, October 1st. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're actually going to have a live webcast this year. Oh, really? Yeah, beginning at 7.15 Eastern Standard Time. And I imagine you'll be able to find the webcast or at least a link to it on uh, improbableresearch.com. Right. Well, NPR every year broadcasts it um, the Friday after Thanksgiving. This year it's the day before Thanksgiving. Oh, is it? I believe so. Well, look at you. Yeah. But if you don't want to wait and you want to see it live as it happens. Exactly. Yeah, Friday, November 27th, the day after Thanksgiving. So what are these, dude? <laughs> we should go ahead and tell people. It's a riff on uh, two things, on the Nobel Prize and the word ignoble. Right. Which means uh, of low character or inferior quality. Right. And I have to say that uh, Mark Abrams, the guy who is the editor of Improbable Research, which is a scientific humor magazine. Now it's a website. Right. Um, he kind of does a little fancy footwork here or there. What do you mean? Well, he says that they're, they're not, yeah, he's like, we're not making fun of people, but we're making fun of people. But he calls it the Ig Nobel Prize. Right. He, sure. He's saying like, this is actually to, to spark curiosity in science. Right. But we're celebrating research that shouldn't be, uh, replicated or reproduced. Yeah. So he's kind of all over the place. He wants to have his cake and eat it, too, a little bit. He does. And boy, howdy, does he. Ever since, I think, 1991, uh-huh. they've uh, they've handed out Ig Nobel Prizes yeah. 
for all sorts of stuff. Sure. And uh, it's I like it. I think it's fun. Sure. And most people do take it lightheartedly. I have a, a very famous case that I can go into later on. That someone who did not take it very lightheartedly, but it's meant to be very humorous. And if you look at some of the the award winners every year, you can see why. So each year they give a prize out for in ten different categories, right? Uh, yes. You want me to go through those? Might as well. Those categories, Josh, <laughs> are uh, nutrition, peace, archaeology, biology, medicine, cognitive science, economics, physics, chemistry, and literature. Yeah, pretty and cool. This, like I said, this is uh, this is actually legitimate research. Sometimes they're given out to patent holders, right? But a lot of times, also, if you've had a a, a study published in a legitimate journal, mm-hmm. you can you're 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 a candidate. You can be a candidate. Uh, I think they get like five thousand nominations every year, and they sort through all of them. Right, you can nominate yourself. Right, and the stu- what the study doesn't have to have been done in the year that the the prizes are given out. Oh, really? Yeah, actually, Chuck. Um, back in 1994, some researchers. Um, at Wright Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio. Oh, yeah. We're working on uh, a project that um, they entitled Harassing, Annoying, and Bad Guy Identifying Chemicals, right? Right. And they sought $7.5 million for research grants. So this is a real deal. It is. I've actually seen the, the documents from the Air Force. Uh-huh. Um, and basically what they were coming up with was a non-lethal project of um, you know chemicals that one of them was uh, her basically a chemical that would they would launch behind enemy lines right. and it would arouse the ire of uh, stinging insects in the area so they go and cool. attack the the uh, enemy um, another one was to uh, create i think chronic or prolonged halitosis among enemy <laughs> soldiers so really? they couldn't stand to be around one another and then there was the one that got the Ig Nobel yes, Award. Yes, the infamous uh, gay bomb. Yes. It says that um, this is under the uh, category, I'm sorry, category three chemicals, chemicals that affect human behavior so that discipline or, in, and morale in enemy units is adversely affected. One distasteful but completely non-lethal example would be strong aphrodisiacs, especially if the chemical also caused homosexual behavior. <laughs> So yeah, the the, the Silly Air Force was working on a gay bomb. How much money did they put toward this? Well, hold on, it won the 2007 uh, Ig Nobel Peace Prize. Well, of course, the Peace Prize. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Uh, how much money? Seven point five million. Wow. And that was 1994. Don't know, you know, what exa- right. what exactly came of it. But and the Air Force didn't take kindly to this, correct? They they kind of they uh, did not show up to re- to receive their award. Right. I don't think they ever had a statement to the contrary that they were upset, but um. Yeah, no. they, they didn't show up and say, hey, thanks. Right. This whole gay bomb thing didn't work out, but thanks. Thanks for the props. Right. Yeah. Who judges these things? Actually, what's crazy is that some Nobel Award winners, like real Nobel Award winners, serve on the Board of Governors True. to decide who is going to get an Ig Nobel Prize. Right. You know who also has? The professor from Gilligan's Island. No. Yeah. Holy cow. Russell Johnson served one year. Sweet. And apparently they do that. They get celebrities and uh, certain actors and, and uh, athletes to be on the panel. Mm-hmm. And they said regular street uh, Joes, your average Joe off the street. <laughs> yeah. They'll put them on the panel, too. Yeah. And it's uh, held at Harvard. Yeah. Well, it used to be at MIT, and now it's at Harvard. They have a big ceremony every year. And uh, I think the, uh, the, the prize laureates uh, are 
able to give a one minute acceptance speech is all. Yeah, they have little Miss Cutie Poo. Yeah. Who, uh, has to, who basically shouts them off stage when they start exceeding their right. minute like acceptance speech. Yeah. Stuff like that. Uh, and the criteria for little Miss Cutie Poo is that she must be an adorable eight year old with ice water in her veins and from the Boston area. Yeah, and they're actually looking for applicants right now. Really? So, yeah, if you're listening in Boston and you're an eight-year-old uh, terror, yeah, <laughs> you might want to apply with a shrill voice. Yeah, bring it. Yeah, uh, the the award itself, Josh, is different every year, which is kind of cool. Uh, they have uh, different uh, designs each year, and uh, one of them was the was a cereal box labeled Ig Nobel O's. Yeah, kind of fun, and that actually uh, kind of leads as a nice segue into. The discussion about this one guy who very famously uh, derided the Ig Nobel Awards as, as stifling science, or yes. at the very least, you know, um, making fun of it, yes, of serious was, scientific he research. He was not happy about it. No. Bob May? Yeah. Uh, it was in 1995. Bob May was the head of the science ministry uh, in for the UK. So he was pretty big cheese. I imagine... You could put him on par with maybe the Surgeon General or the head of the um, uh, National Science Foundation here. Right. Um, and he came out and he wrote a letter to Improbable Research. And he also had one published in Nature uh, where he just railed on the Ig Nobel organizers yeah. and Improbable Research. Yeah, he said not to ever award another one to anyone from England. No. and the, I thought was kind of like, hey, thanks. The people who were um, getting the award that year uh, had been doing research. They were from the University of East Anglia, who I have to say is a university that produces some really entertaining studies. Um, but this one was uh, the research into the effects or what makes soggy cereal or cereal soggy. That's good research. Right. Well, he said, don't give it to these people. Don't ever right. give it to another British scientist again. And actually, he thought, you know, he was he had just put the final stamp of disapproval on it. Right. Actually, it created this huge outcry in the scientific community oh, about how stuffy the British scientific exactly. establishment is. He's and certainly not doing very much to uh, quell uh, stereotypes, is he? No, he wasn't. And in uh, 2000, his successor uh, actually went. No, 2002, actually went to the Ig Nobel Awards to basically show that, hey, oh, Great faith. Britain's, you know, back on board, baby. That's good. Yeah. I think science, the more you can um, laugh at, at certain things and have fun with it, the better. Because, you know, you want to turn uh, other people on to science. You don't want to turn them off by thinking that, you know, we're all so stuffy and uptight that we can't laugh at ourselves. You just gave me yet another segue. Speaking of turning people on, okay, um, the 2000... Nobel, Ig Nobel Prize winner uh, for medicine uh, was a guy named Dr. Peck Van Andel. Is that a real name? Yes, it is. <laughs> he's, like uh, I think he's Dutch. Sounds like a pseudonym. He won the 2000, you, you would think it might be, he won the 2000 Ig Nobel Prize for medicine uh, for making the first MRI video of human reproductive organs while they're engaged in the act of coitus. And dude, really? yeah, if did you, you came, I did, and it is an MRI porno. It's crazy. So basically, he had he had two people uh, performing uh, intercourse inside an MRI machine for this. Yes. Wow. And uh, yeah, he has a video of it, and it's up on YouTube. Actually, it's uh, improbable research number one nineteen, I believe. Right. And I should probably say, if you are listening, eighteen and, and over, you're watching. <laughs> uh, you're you're listening to this at work. 
and you're about to open another tab, you might want to take it easy. Wait till you get home. And if you're 12, don't watch this yet. <laughs> At least don't tell your parents that it was Josh and Chuck who told you about this. Right. Should we talk about some more of these prizes? Yeah, dude, it's time. I think uh, Robert Lamb, who wrote this awesome piece of work, probably had a lot of fun with this one. He wrote that um, in 2003, Keyes W. Mulliker did a, a study on the existence of homosexual necrophiliac ducks. Mm-hmm. And this is all real. Yeah, it actually, this study led to Dead Duck Day in the Netherlands now. Really? Yeah. Well, uh, uh, funny you should say the Netherlands because there was one in New Zealand <laughs> about exploding pants among New Zealand farmers in the 1930s. Someone studied that too. Yeah, what was up with that? I have no idea. I didn't I didn't see the final outcome. I, uh, I went on the improbable research and found some other winners, Chuck. Um there's some pretty wacky stuff out there. Or at the very least, I mean, you have to think about it. When somebody undertakes this, this a study, they're very serious about it. They want to get to the bottom of it. And obviously, yeah. it's, if you look at it like the gay bomb, they didn't say the gay bomb plus, you know, arousing steam bees and there's legitimate research associated with it. It's the gay bomb. They're right. picking out the the funniest angle of looking at this. But there is some legitimate there is very much legitimate research put into this, and you have to imagine funding yeah. for this research. Somebody said, okay, yeah, go check out necrophiliac homosexual ducks. Right, and then it's published Yeah, usually in a medical journal. Yeah. Uh, I have one from last year that was pretty funny. Uh, in the field of chemistry, um, Sherry Umpierre, Joseph Hill, and Deborah Anderson discovered that Coca-Cola is an effective spermicide and yeah. C.Y. Hong... C.C. Shi, P. Wu, and B.N. Chiang uh, accidentally proved that it is not an, an effective spermicide mm-hmm. in the same year. Mm-hmm. So they were both awarded the award for chemistry, which I thought was pretty funny. And they all showed up to receive it, to oh, accept it. Yeah, cool. both, both sides of the studies. Um, I think it was last year, Chuck, that uh, Ivan R. Schwab and Philip R.A. May um, won the prize for ornithology. What was that? They uh, researched why woodpeckers don't get headaches. Really? Yeah. Or why they give people headaches is what I would follow it up with. No. No? Mm-mm. Uh, last year in nutrition, this one I thought was pretty funny, Brian Wansink uh, investigated people's appetite for mindless eating, and his trick was he had a self-refilling bowl of soup in front of them <laughs> that they didn't realize was constantly refilling itself. Awesome. So he would study if they would just keep on eating and eating without thinking about it. Awesome. I could go for a self-refilling bowl of soup. Really? <laughs> yeah. Depending on the soup. Loaded baked potato, definitely. Oh, yeah. Um, I've got one. You ready? Yeah. The uh, Ig Nobel Prize for Mathematics in uh, 2007 um, went to Nick Svensson and Piers Barnes of the Australian Commonwealth Scientific and Research Organization. They calculated the number of photographs you have to take to ensure that nobody in a group photo will have their eyes closed in really? one of them. Yeah. Do you have the stat? No, I don't. But if you want the stat, you can read the June 2006 issue of Velocity. And uh, the article's called Blink-Free Photos Guaranteed. I've got one for you, too. <laughs> we could do this all day. We could. But this one is actually could be real, uh, have real applications. In aviation... They discovered that uh, hamsters recover from jet lag more quickly when given Viagra. Mm-hmm. So there might be something to that. Jet lag's a you know a problem for some people, and maybe something in the Viagra could actually help humans because rats and hamsters and humans all kind of 
are wired the same. Well, I don't know if it's groundbreaking research as much as it is, you know, just proving conventional wisdom, you know? Well, you think so with Viagra? Everybody knows Viagra cures jet lag and rodents. Okay, sorry. Yeah. You got another one? I do. Can you tell by the look on my face? Yeah, you were gasping. Uh, 2007, the medicine prize went to some researchers from the University of Tennessee College of Medicine. They did some research into terminating hiccups by digital rectal massage. And digital, in this case, means your finger. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, I was. I, you know, that's funny. I read that earlier. And I was like, how can you get a digital rectal massage? I was thinking uh, digitizing. All right. I wasn't thinking fingers. That makes sense. You got any more? You want to do another couple? Oh, actually, there was one. <laughs> what? The uh, the guy who'd studied strippers and found that strippers get more uh, tips when they're ovulating. Yeah, they won the economics prize last year. I thought that was pretty pretty interesting. Yeah. So, in essence, it's a lot of fun. You know, they're, they're kind of poking fun, but it is some legitimate research going on, and I just think it's a good time. I agree. And if you're uh, interested in checking it out, as I said, uh, the Ig Nobel Prizes are going to be on. There's going to be a live webcast at 7.15 Eastern on October 1st. If you want to find out who ends up being Miss Cutie Poo for 2009, it'll I'll be revealed for Josh. <laughs> in a wig. Eight-year-old, steely cold. Yeah. Yeah, I could hear it. Yeah. So, Chuck, I guess that's it, right? If you uh, want yeah. to read this, I have to say you said Robert Lamb wrote a great article. I agree. I think this article has one of the best introductions on the site. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, you can find uh, that by typing in IG and then space and Nobel on the handy search bar on HowStuffWorks.com. And since I said that, that means, my friends, that it is time for listener mail. Yes, indeed, Josh. I'm just going to call this... Answer to our query about the biggest uh, badass of World War II. Yes, Chuck. I'm very excited about this one. We got a lot of response, actually. We called, if you remember correctly, just to recap, we did a thing on Japanese stragglers. Wait. Let's go to the Wayback Machine and listen to what we said. Okay. In contrast to you, Koi, was the baddest dude in World War II, probably. As a matter of fact, I invite our listeners to email us. Oh boy. Anybody who can, who, one, any single individual who can top the man we're about to talk about as, as in badness. Okay? I agree. And Josh will personally email you back and debate you. And there it is. So we, we posited that Ona, uh, Onada was uh, one of the biggest uh, uh, Rambos of the war. Sure. And we challenged people to send in someone better. Yeah. And people did. Yeah. We got a lot of responses. Yeah, but there was one that had overwhelming uh, support. There was. There were actually a couple. We want to give a special, uh, uh, I guess you would call it a runner-up, to Audie Murphy. Yeah. Famous American actor and soldier. Yeah. Uh, baby face, uh, like a buck 25. But yeah, five, if you started five. shooting at him, he yeah. went crazy. And he was awesome, and he was super bad, but I think he gets a little attention because he was a real small guy. And he was American. And he was American, he had like such a cherub face, like people think, wow, man, he's extra bad because he was tough and he was so little. Mm-hmm. We got some votes, uh, there was some British guy that was pretty bad, another couple of Japanese dudes. Mm-hmm. But... Wait. What, you got another one? No, go ahead. But we have a winner. Yes, clear winner. This guy is so bad. This is uh, Simo Haya. Haiha. The uh, nickname for him was White Death. Yes. Can I tell this guy's story? Please. All right. So he was a uh, Finnish farmer, and he um, 
was just basically doing his own thing when the Russians invaded Finland. Uh-huh. The, win- the Winter War. Yes. He didn't like this one bit. So basically he took a standard bolt-action rifle without a sight. Yeah, no, no, it had sight, no scope. No scope, sorry, right. yes. Uh, and went out into the woods, the subarctic woods of Finland, where it gets to about 40 degrees below Fahrenheit. Yeah. And just basically sat up in trees or in blinds and waited. And he didn't have to wait very long. Over the no. course of one year, just using this old rifle, he killed 500 Russians. 505. As a sniper. As a sniper. A lot of these people, when the Russians uh, were finally alerted that there was one sniper out there that was causing them all these problems, right. they sent detachments with the specific mission of going to kill him. Find the White Death. Yeah, that's when he got the name the White Death. Yeah. So they send uh, they send detachment after detachment out, and he just murders every single one of them. Yeah, two, he killed two hundred people with a submachine gun. Yeah, so that would I guess would be like the close up fight. Right. So he, he's up to seven hundred and five. Yeah, seven hundred and five confirmed kills in a year. Uh, finally, somebody gets close enough to him to shoot him in the face with an exploding bullet. Yep, and it still didn't kill him. Yep, he was shot in the jaw. Uh, rumor has it that he shot the other sniper before losing consciousness. So the guy that just shot him, before he passed out, he killed him. Yeah. Immediate retribution. Yeah. And uh, the guy who wrote in with the best email says, uh, unofficially, he had over 800 kills. And this was in under 100 days. It was less than a year. Wow. So he said... He was uh, just a killing machine. Think about it. That is at least five kills per day, plus 200 kills with a World War II submachine gun. And he still didn't die. No, no, he lost consciousness and woke up apparently the day World War II ended. Yeah, and he lived until 1998. Yep. So I think the White Death, I, I'm going to vote for him. Oh, hands down, he is the biggest badass of World War II. Yeah, although some people are going to write in and say, yeah, but this was sniper stuff, and Audie Murphy fought people with like a knife. and. Uh, i got to tell you, Audie Murphy is, to me, a very close second, yeah. but the White Death... First of all, the Hard name alone. Sure. 40 degrees below Fahrenheit, just sitting out there sniping Russians. I mean, I think he's. I think he wins the award, in my opinion. He does. So I want to give credit where credit is due here. Uh, we want to thank Carson um, from Toronto. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's a joke. I'm making a joke. He's actually from Edmonton. And he said, please don't say I'm from Toronto. Gotcha. And he also said something about eating habaneros and mentioning that so his friends would know it's really him. Okay. So, Carson, we've done so. Uh, so Carson from Edmonton, uh, Timon in New York City, Devin from Georgia, and Adrienne all wrote in with White Death, and I think there were actually more, so if I left you off, yeah, no, there definitely don't snipe me. And also, there's a really cool uh, uh, article, uh, cracked.com, uh, about Rambo, or uh, basically real-life soldiers who yeah. make Rambo look like something or other yeah i was yeah um that was worth reading and if you want to send us an email about anything at all white death or otherwise uh you can send that to stuff podcast at howstuffworks.com for more on this and thousands of other topics visit howstuffworks.com want more howstuffworks check out our blogs on the howstuffworks.com homepage. Hey, if you're a fan of Altoids, the curiously strong mints, you probably have a lot of empty tins laying around. You can do some pretty cool stuff with them. You can make survival kits, flash drives, even robots. Check out Altoids on Facebook to find out more. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?